I can't say this is a sermon I've been looking forward to preaching. I usually do, usually look forward to bringing the Word, and especially Romans, it's just, it's just a feast of good things, isn't it? But as I was preparing this sermon this week, I, I don't know at times I was wishing I would fall ill. Um, it's really tough. I think it's tough for maybe Americans in particular, and I count myself as one of you. Um, in a way, the strength of this nation is its independent spirit, and yet that can go to extremes, can't it? And this passage really rubs up against us the wrong way. It's not comfortable to hear. And I'm pretty sure that all of us, if not most of us, will feel some pain here tonight. But this is as true as Romans 1 through 12. It's the inspired Word of God, and we want to come before it and learn through it. So I want to ask this hard question tonight. How should Christians relate to our government? Now, there's a, if I threw that out here tonight, there would be a range of answers, wouldn't there? Some would say um, toleration. Others might say apathy, withdrawal. Others might say uh, criticism, protest. Others might go further and say rebel or even revolution. There's, there's a great range of possibilities about how we as Christians relate to our government. But in Romans 13, 1 through 7, God guides us here through Paul's teaching to a right relationship to those in government over us and helps us answer this question, how should we relate? Not how do we, but how should we relate to our government? It, in the background to this, remember in Romans 12, it's a chapter of transformation. It's all about renewal, renewal of our minds, renewal of our bodies, renewal of how we use our gifts, renewal of our emotions. Last week, we saw a renewal, a transformation of how we relate to our enemies. And this week, Paul keeps going in that theme of renewal with a renewal of our relationship to our government. I don't know what's the harder, that transformation of renewal in our relationship to our enemies or our relationship to the government. It's interesting because at the end of chapter 12, Paul has uh, taken vengeance away from us and uh, given it into the hands of God. And he said, no personal vengeance. This is something that belongs to God. We shouldn't take it from Him, but leave it in His hands. But then in Romans 13, God actually delegates at least some of His justice to duly appointed 
human government. It's a limited form of justice. It's a temporary form of justice, but He has put it into the hands of human beings. Now, as we consider this question, how should we relate to the government, we'll, we'll see in general that our relationship to the government is based upon our relationship to God and the government's relationship to God. So, I want this evening to begin by asking, well, what's God's relationship to government? And if we can answer that one, then it becomes easier to see what is our relationship to the government. So, we're going to start by noticing that the government is under God. God, then government. We see that in three ways in these verses, and the first is this, the government is appointed by God, chosen by God, and appointed by Him, and therefore, as it says here, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, let me give you a, a brief biblical history of government that takes us up to this point. In the beginning, there was no government, no human government. There was Adam and Eve, and they were ruled directly by God. There was no one in between. When sin came into the world, though, God appointed the first official justice when He put the angel with the flaming sword at the gate to the Garden of Eden to punish anyone who would try to re-enter that garden. So, here for the first time, there is government apart from God, under God, and over people. But the world got worse and worse, so much so that God, in a very direct act of justice, flooded the world and executed punishment on the whole human race, apart from eight who were in Noah's ark. And after having executed that justice, He then gave to Noah and the authorities He would raise up the power to exact justice, a life for a life. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. So, here we have, you might say, civil government instituted, people who have been appointed and authorized to execute God's justice. And that's, that's developed further as Moses gives the law of God and then ordains leaders and judges, then further on more judges, and then eventually kings ruling in God's place, under God, over His people, with varying degrees of faithfulness and success. And that brings us right up to Christ's time. When Christ came to the world, the people of God, Israel, were under Roman government, an oppressive, tyrannical government that they hated, and they wanted to throw off. And they looked for a Messiah who would come and who would break that Roman yoke that would rid them of Roman rule and free them 
to be ruled by the Messiah. And so there was, a very, there was very much a revolutionary spirit. That's why Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So here, here's Jesus trying to tamp down this anarchic, rebellious spirit. And then we come to Paul's teaching here, and it's crystal clear, isn't it? He, he states it both negatively and positively. Negatively, there is no authority except from God. And then positively, those that exist have been instituted by God. That means every single government in the world and in world history has been appointed by God. A big government, small government, capitalist government, socialist governments, monarchies, dictatorships, republics, all of these kinds of government have been appointed by God. So whatever form they take, however they have come into being, they are appointed by God. Now, that does not mean God approves of every government action or law that He looks down and smiles upon them. No, the Bible makes really clear, especially in the history of Israel, that good leaders are a blessing of God, and bad leaders are usually a chastisement from God. When God's people have been rebelling against them, been unfaithful, then He will often give them bad kings, bad leaders, instead of good ones. That doesn't mean He approves of them or smiles upon them. So, let's just get this clear in our minds. Government is appointed by God. Secondly here, we read the government is the servant of God. Look at verse 4. He is God's servant for your good. Later on in verse 4, He is the servant of God. And then again, we have verse 6, you're to pay taxes for the authorities are ministers, also meaning servants of God. So, three times we're told that our government appointed by God are to serve God. That's how God conceives of leaders, of governors, or whatever level they're at. He looks down on them and He says, you're my servants. And they're really, they're two official classes of servant in the Bible. The first is servants of God in His church, and secondly, servants of God in the state. And so, here, leaders, whether they're presidents, prime ministers, kings, queens, senators, house of representatives, local, national, state, whoever they are, they are servants of God. They may not realize it, they may not accept it. But whatever they think or say, in God's eyes, they are His servants. They are to do 
his will. And you can see that because here it speaks of rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And again, do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. He's God's servant for your good. It speaks of carrying out God's wrath and the wrongdoer. So, what Paul's telling us here is people are not, leaders are not here to make up what's good and bad, what's right and wrong. No, Paul says there's a very clear, objective, right and wrong that has been made known by God and that our leaders are to follow as His servants. So, our leaders, they're not servants of a party. They're not servants of a president. They're not even servants of the people primarily. They are servants of God to rule for God in accordance with God's will, to seek out what is good and bad from God, and enact laws accordingly. And these servants are really limited in their service. God really does have a small view of government, because in this passage, He only gives them two rights. And the first one is to execute justice, and the second, as we'll see, is to collect taxes, to pay for them and the enacting of justice. So, as Paul here outlines the functions of these servants of God, he's saying, here's, here's a very limited role for you. It's a very important role, but it's a limited role, and it's limited to justice and taxation, protecting the good, punishing the evil, and gathering enough money to fund these exercises of justice. So, this is the way God delegates His vengeance so that His servants on earth will execute a partial, temporary, and limited justice. It's not saying that when people are punished in this world, there's no punishment in the world to come. No, they're punished in this world to warn them of a greater punishment in the world to come and as an example to others to put fear in any potential evildoers so that they will not follow the same path. So, governments are appointed by God, servants of God, and thirdly, answerable to God. And that's not stated explicitly in this passage, but it logically follows. If God appoints servants and gives them a will to follow, then logically they will be answerable for their service in doing His will. And that's made clear in other passages of Scripture. They are accountable not just to the electorate at election time, but to God at judgment time. Psalm 82 speaks of this where he, the psalmist envisages all the great kings of the earth and leaders, and they're making decisions, and he's saying, remember, you will fall like ordinary men when God comes to judge. Your, your position, your power, your influence, all of that will not just mean nothing, but you will be more judged 
because to whomsoever much is given, much shall be required. And if you have more responsibility in this area, then you will be more answerable for it. So, government is appointed by God, the servant of God, and answerable to God. Therefore, let's reframe our view of government. It doesn't matter which party is in power, who is our president or governor. This passage tells us to take a frame and put it around them, and on the frame title it says, appointed by God. Yes, horrible though it is to admit it sometimes, appointed by God. There's no accidents. There's no bad luck. This is God's appointment. That should change the way we think about our government, speak about our government, and act towards our government. Secondly, let's thank God for government. (laughs) This is Thanksgiving week. Let's keep the government out of it, you might say. No. If God has appointed government, we should thank Him for it. Not for the bad things they do and say, but believe it or not, there's only one system worse than government, and that's no government. There are good governments in the Bible, there are bad governments in the Bible, and then there's no government in the Bible. The book of Judges. You want to see what our society would look like? when everyone does what is right in their own eyes, then have a look at that. We should be thankful. We, we wouldn't have light. We wouldn't have roads. We wouldn't have any freedoms. Our homes would be like fortresses. We would have no hope if, we'd, if we fell ill that emergency services would come and help us and so on. So, let's be thankful for our government. Imperfect though it may be, the alternative is far, far worse. And then thirdly, let's pray for our government. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we read, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. Why? That we may lead a peaceful life and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We we pray that God will give us the kinds of rulers that will be truly His servants. And, And we pray for the conversion of our leaders, surely. I mean, we should pray for the conversion of those who show no fruits of knowing Christ in their lives. So, in summary, government is from God by God, and for God. So, that's God's relationship to government. On the basis of that, then, how should we relate to government? Remember, we said our relationship to government is based on God's relationship to the government. We've looked at that, so now let's ask, what about us? Well, Christians are under the government. The government's under God, and Christians are under 
the government. I'm going to read some words here. You're not going to like them very much. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Verse 5, therefore, one must be in subjection. It's hard, isn't it? Submission, subjection, obedience. This, though, is to be the Christian's default relationship to government. And notice it says, let every person. It doesn't doesn't give exception for anyone. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Christians should be known more for their civil obedience than their civil disobedience. Why should this be our default? Well, because, first of all, we'll avoid God's wrath. It makes it really clear here. It says in verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Serious, isn't it? This isn't a small sin in God's eyes. He says, I'm going to judge if you don't submit. Secondly, we will probably incur punishment from the civil authorities. God judges directly and indirectly through civil authorities. And then thirdly, even if we escape consequences here in this world and God doesn't judge us directly or indirectly through government, we're to submit for conscience sake, to keep a clear conscience. Look at these verses here. One must be, verse 5, in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Paul was speaking to people in Rome who witnessed a very evil government, Roman government. The Jewish and the Gentile believers were seeing how vile this government was, and ours does not yet compare. And yet here, he says, look, for the sake of conscience, to avoid judgment, for the good of society, and for the good of your Christian witness, be known as obedient, as submissive to civil government. John Piper said this, the danger to our soul from unjust governments is nowhere near as great as the danger to our soul from the pride that kicks against submission. No mistreatment or unjust law has sent anyone ever to hell. But pride and rebellion is what sends everyone to hell who doesn't have a Savior. Now, there is a place for civil disobedience. When human rulers command us to do something God has forbidden, 
or forbid us from doing something that God has commanded. It's very clear. We ought to obey God rather than men. We are to be default obeyers and exceptional disobeyers. We are to be default submitters and in exceptional circumstances, disobeyers. You have this throughout the Bible. You have the, the midwives in Exodus 1 who resisted Pharaoh's decree to kill the Israelite boys. You have Daniel who was commanded not to pray. You have his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were commanded to bow down to an idol. You have the apostles who were told not to preach the gospel. And they said very clearly, judge you what is right in the sight of God, whether we should obey God or men. The choice is clear for us. So, this is not ruling out in exceptional circumstances civil disobedience, but it's to be exceptional and very well justified. So, that's the first thing. We submit to government. Secondly, we pay taxes to the government. Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Government officials should be paid enough to focus full-time on this kind of governing. It's, it's, it's very, very hard, but really what Paul is saying is when we fill out our tax returns, it's an act of worship. That may make us more honest. God is commanding us here, pay taxes for they are servants of God. Thirdly, we honor the government. Look at the last verses here. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. We're not asked to like the government, right? But we are asked to honor them, which means when possible, speaking well of them, highlighting what is good, which means when we have to disobey, that we do so in a respectful manner, as Daniel did, and his friends did, and as the apostles did, and as the midwives did. It's to bring a Christian spirit even into these exceptional circumstances. So, these are, these are very revealing commands, aren't they? Submit, pay taxes, honor the government, they're revealing because they, they reveal our, our heart's attitude to not only our leaders, but to God. Because remember, God is over government, and government is over us. And what God is telling us here is our attitude to government is to reflect and does reflect our attitude to God. Christians should be the best citizens in the whole of society. 
doing the good, supporting the punishment of evil. And we're to confess Jesus as Lord, that He is over all. It, yes, we, we have a duty to imperfect human government. How much more to perfect divine government? So, honor the government to honor God. How should Christians relate to our government? Here's your answer. Obey and honor God by obeying and honoring His appointed government. I hope I'll get out of here tonight without being stoned. <laughs> I'm just trying to faithfully preach the Word here. It's as much to myself as to you. It's agony in a way for me to be here because I feel so condemned by this. I, I feel I'm trying to find every excuse in the book not to comply. And there must be some small print in here. There's going to be somewhere between the lines for me, is there not? There's not. So, let's worship God for His overall sovereignty. However, whatever government we're under, we are under His overall, which is wonderful. Secondly, let's model this to our children. Let's be countercultural in the way we relate to our government so that our children grow up knowing how to relate to authorities. And thirdly, let's look forward to the day when the judges are judged, when the governors will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord as they bow their knees before Him. And they realize, although they escaped in this world with evil and cheating and deceit and corruption and bribery and self-advancement and promotion and trampling over others and executing the good and excusing the evil, they will give an account to God. They'll stand before the greatest judge, the greatest king, and they will bow, and they will confess. And we're told in Revelation chapter 6 that when the wrath of God comes at the last day in the great judgment, the kings of the earth and the leaders of the earth will flee from the wrath of the Lamb, and they'll cry to the hills and the mountains, fall on us, fall on us, for the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? And that relieves us of a lot of anger and a lot of wrath and a lot of revenge, and a lot of a desire for retaliation. Vengeance is God's. He will repay. Let's pray. King of kings and Lord of lords, we want to thank You for Your appointed governments. We want that grace we need to submit obey and honor and respect them. But we also want to see them changed. We want to see revival, reformation, and renewal in the courts and deliberative bodies of our land. And as we, as we Lord, prepare to hear about Alpha Grand Rapids, this is perhaps the area of all areas 
that we have the greatest pain in our hearts. When we see our government promoting the murder of unborn children, we will fight and we will oppose with all our might till our dying days. And may it be that one day these evil laws are wiped off our statute books and our, the blood guiltiness of our nation is washed away. For Jesus' sake, amen.